The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. We've been finding courage from 2 Corinthians, and maybe this one is the hardest one yet, because you can probably tell from uh, the topic over your scripture heading, what is it an encouragement to do? Give generously. Courage to be sacrificially generous, sincerely generous. So this is courage to have hearts that love to actually sacrificially give financially to others who need it. Uh, courage for generous giving. So uh, how many of you get the heebie-jeebies when you talk about money in church? Some of you don't. Some of you do. I do a little bit. A couple reasons. Number one is the church has botched this like 10 million times. Um, so you can probably all think of stories. One of my favorites is there was this famous teacher named Oral Roberts, and he had, thank you, he had a vision from God, okay, a couple actually, but the one I'm going to mention today is he actually told his network of churches that unless they gave $8 million to what he was doing, God was going to kill him. Now, I was thinking, what if I tried that at Fountain of Life? And then I realized most of you would be like, well, I might come to your funeral. See you, Pastor Matt. Yeah, <laughs> bye-bye. And if I was the church, I'd have been like, well, we can get rid of oral. Maybe another pastor will only need two million. We could save six mil, you know. Um, by the way, he raised that eight million. He did. He raised that eight million. So it reminds us, the church, um, <laughs> it reminds us that the church has botched this a million times, and so it makes us very hesitant to talk about it because we don't, we don't want to be like that. So I, I just want you to know if you're new with us today, I have no desire to be anything like that. I, I am not after your money. I want you to see and know and love Jesus. If you're new with us today, I don't, even, I don't need you to give today. Um, I feel no pressure to give today. That's for people who are a part of this church. We're not about taking. We're about giving. And yet... Okay, here's another reason I'm hesitant to talk about money. There's a couple things where people are like, yeah, we expect you to talk about, what, what should we talk about at church? You should talk about forgiveness. You should talk about uh, reading the Bible, talk about Jesus. But there's a couple things you shouldn't talk about, right? Somebody told me the story the other day of you know, the difference between preaching and meddling. Okay? And once I start talking to a few things, like number one, parenting. Everybody gets nervous if you talk about parenting. Why? It's too, it's too personal. Now you're meddling. And then the second one, people get real antsy over. What is it? Money. Well, and politics. Money. <laughs> money. You talk about money, now you're meddling. Get, go away. That's mine. Leave me alone. Don't talk about this. You can't talk about this. Um, well, I got, I got a couple problems. Number one is, usually at Fountain of Life, we preach through books of the Bible, Right? So if you've been here for very long, we've been preaching through 2 Corinthians every week. And 2 Corinthians is setting the schedule for what we're talking about. And what does it happen to be today? Money. Straight up, money. We're hitting one of the most important passages about being sacrificial, generous givers. So if we love the Bible, guess what we're going to talk about? Money. We're going to talk about it. Not only that, listen guys, if you have a hero at all, what do you love about that hero? I think almost every, every story about somebody that's a hero to us will involve their sacrificial generosity. Every hero you can think of 
gave something up that was precious to their loss for someone else's benefit. Pretty much every hero ever was sacrificially generous. So let's just be honest then. If that's your hero, the sacrificially generous person who willingly to their own harm, bless somebody else. If that's what your view of heroism is, then what's this text trying to, to pull out of you? Be a hero. Be what you already look up to. Be what you already value. Have integrity with what you value. You value this? Then live it. Well, that'll take courage, won't it? I mean, I know, I know this too. Believe me, I know this. We know this. It takes courage. What we're talking about here is having a heart that loves sacrificial generosity. So he's actually not even talking about money. He's talking about your heart. A heart that loves sacrificial generosity so that in some way your standard of living goes from where it could be to another, another place so that you can help somebody else. That's what we're talking about. You're going to sacrifice something. We all have a limited budget. Whatever the limits are, we have different limits, but they're all limited. And, and to give generously means I'm going to limit myself even more than I'm already limited so that I can help somebody else where they're too limited. Right? So we need courage for that. I need courage for that. Let's back up just uh, for context. Paul here uh, in 2 Corinthians is not doing the Oral Roberts He's not like, I had a vision from God. You're going to lose your apostle if you don't ante up. Uh, the Corinthians would have been like, see ya. <laughs> They're already like that anyway sometimes. No, what Paul's doing is totally different. There's a famine in Jerusalem during this time. And so believers in Israel do not have enough to eat. I mean, it's, it's legit poverty. And so Paul, he's, he's got a mission here. He wants to do two things. Number one, he, he wants to help, help those brothers and sisters in Christ who do not have enough. And two, he wants to build up the unity of the body of Christ because the first century AD, there was a huge division between Jew and Gentile. Huge division for a bunch of reasons. And so if he's thinking, if I can, if I can inspire courageous generosity in the Gentile church and for them now to show the love of God to the Jewish church, well, that would just enable unity in a totally different level in God's church so that Jesus would be praised as the church is courageous in serving one another. That's what Paul is after. And so that's what he's trying to inspire, sacrificial generosity. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, I just want to show you the heart of what Paul is after uh, as an introduction. Then we're going to see... Um, how our hearts get changed to be more courageous in this area. Because I think we all have the haunting idea that we should be more sacrificially generous. But the way it comes out of us is, I can't do it. It just won't work. Not enough. I have to win the lottery or something to give more. Uh, and so Paul wants to expose that. No, right now where you are, you can, be, you can have a heart that that loves to be sacrificially generous, and here's how. But first, let me show you, it's about the heart, not about the dollars. Look at verse 8. Where are we? Chapter 8, verse 8. So, page 968. Verse 8, Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. This is real interesting. Verse 8, he says this not as a what? It's not a command. 
So he's not saying, you must give money. It's not what he's doing. What does he want the Corinthians to show? I want you to show that your love is real. I want you to show that your love is real. That's why we're sacrificially generous. What's the issue? Love. Real love. It's a heart issue. Not only that, look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Paul writes there, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Now that's amazing. Does any pastor have the right to say, you must give this much? No. No. What does the apostle say? How much should you give? You should give what you decide to give. Who decides what you give? You do. Let's just make it real plain. Guess who has the freedom and the responsibility to decide what you give? You do. You do. But then, so you're like, well, okay, that's, that's freeing. Yeah, and look at this. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. You know, a lot of times in the Old Testament, God would, um, he would confront the people of Israel because they'd come and do their sacrifices, but they just did it because they had to. They had a religious view of a relationship with him. We just got to do what we have to. And Paul actually says to the church, and I guess he's saying to us too, if you give because you feel like you have to, don't give. We don't want it. I don't want it. Um, it's like a kiss you give to your lover that you have to. I don't, I don't, we don't want the kiss. Okay? It's like me visiting you in the hospital because I have to. And you'll be like, leave. Okay? We don't want the duty of it. We're talking about real generosity. Why should we sacrificially give according to Paul, according to Scripture? Because we want to. God loves a what? A cheerful giver. So we need to be so transformed that we look as, at giving as the gift. That's what we're going to see in this passage. Giving is the gift. I'm so excited I get to give. I'm so excited that instead of this sort of standard of living thing I could have had, instead of this, I get to give. This giving is better. That's what needs to happen to our hearts. And how many of you are like, well, that's a miracle. <laughs> It is. It's exactly what it is. It's a miracle to have hearts of generosity like God has for us. So again, how do we do it? How do we find courage to be like this? Well, Paul's going to show us an example of grace, verses 1 to 4. Courage from the example of grace. Then we're also going to see the gift of grace. And then we're going to remember the knowledge of grace. So see an example of grace. See the gift of grace. Remember the knowledge of ultimate grace. So gift, or sorry, example, gift, knowledge. Let's start with the example. Look at verses 1 to 5. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the what? Grace of God. Now what comes in your mind when you think of Grace. Hopefully, uh, when, you, when we say the word grace, hopefully you have this kind of a definition in your mind. Undeserved, lavish love. So the first part of grace is 
Do you deserve it? No. But do you still get it anyway? Yeah, lots of it. Lavish or generous. Undeserved, generous love. And so Paul is saying, hey, I want you to, I want you to hear a story. God's grace fell on a group of people in an amazing way. Verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. God's grace fell on these people in a crazy way. Now, if you just take a step back, and I said, I started a story like this. Hey, guys, God's grace fell on people in an amazing way. What would you imagine happened? You may think, well, a lot of people became Christians. Hey, that would be real, for sure. You might think... um, People repented and said they were sorry to one another. There was reconciliation. That would be grace too, right? Absolutely. Uh, maybe you could think of something else. Hey, if God's grace fell on a group of people, this would happen. Well, look what happened here. God's grace fell on people. Are you ready to be surprised? Verse 2. For, what's the first ingredient of grace? Verse 2. For in a what? Severe test of affliction. Crickets. You, affliction, a severe test of affliction was part of God's undeserved lavish love for these people. You believe that? It's true. Because affliction is the context for the grace. Next ingredient of grace. In a severe test of affliction, what do they have next? They're what? Abundance of joy. Joy. A deep happiness. This is, this is the radical stuff that comes with the gospel. We're living it right now in this church. Severe test of affliction. And yet somehow, what's still there? Joy. How can you have joy in affliction? Well, we're going to get there, but it has to do with Jesus and his promises and his presence and his love. So the grace is a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, and look at the next part. You didn't expect this either. And their what? Extreme poverty. So what do they have? Not much. They're being afflicted. They're probably being persecuted. They don't have money. What do they have? Joy. And what is it overflowed in? A wealth of generosity. Our jaws hit the ground. Paul says, I want to show you these people. They have nothing. They're being persecuted, except they have deep joy, and it has showed itself in generous, sacrificial giving. And what does Paul say this is? This is the grace of God. This is the grace of God, where people who are persecuted and suffering have joy and are generous. That's a miracle. This is incredible. Wow. Um, There's a few lessons here, a few lessons here. How many of you think you'd give more if you won the lottery? Maybe. 
maybe. Stats aren't great. Stats aren't great. Uh, but we think this attitude is, well, I, I'm a generous person in my heart. This is what we think about ourselves, what I think about myself. I'm a generous person in my heart, but my circumstances are keeping me from it right now. And one day when those circumstances magically change, I'll become generous. Isn't that what we think? What do the Macedonians show us? Generosity has nothing to do with your money that you have. It has to do with your heart. Because if they, in their severe affliction and poverty, can have joy and generosity, then what, ha- what just happened to all our reasons to not be generous? They gone. I'm going to say something totally radical. Probably we as modern Americans have more than they did. You think? You think? Wow. Second thing to see here, because look at verse 5. And this generosity, Paul says, not as we expected. But what did they do? This is so key to this passage. They gave, what did they give? They gave themselves first to the Lord. This is the heartbeat of this passage. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Okay, a lot of times I think when people consider their relationships with God, it's like we're card dealers. Okay, this is religion right here. I got the deck, shuffling the deck, and in this deck are aspects of my life. And so I'll be like, God, I'll give you 15 minutes of devotional time this morning, and you give me a better day. And I'll give you um, some time, and you give me all this money to do what I want with, or I'll give you some money, and then I'll do what I want with these relationships. Do you see what we're doing? We've divided our lives into aspects, and then if we do enough with some aspects, we cut a deal with God, and you can have that, and I can have this. We hear it in lines like, hey, don't be too crazy about your spiritual life. You've got other things to do. Hey, Christian, which part of your life is your spiritual life? All of your life is your spiritual life. The the way we raise kids is for Jesus. The way we work is for Jesus. Our excellence in what we do is for Jesus. Our relationships are for Jesus. And and guess what? What else is for Jesus? Our, Our money. Our money is for Jesus. Do you believe that? Does God want... Aspects of your life. Does he want to be dealt out certain parts of you so that you can keep other parts? Or does he want the dealer? He doesn't want the deal. He wants the dealer. He wants you to give yourself to him. That's what we see here. And this is God's grace when we do that. It's God's grace when we've tasted his love so much 
that we say, I'm not doing religion anymore. Because religion, you guys, is giving aspects of our lives to God. If you do a certain thing, God will like you. So I guess I'll give a little because I got to, so he'll like me. You're totally missing the gospel. That's not it at all. It's not aspects of our lives. It's our hearts. It's everything. I am his. We sang it this morning. Lord Almighty, we are yours and yours alone. That's God's grace. When you taste his grace, that's where you want to be. Aren't these Macedonians amazing? What could possibly give them joy and generosity to where they give themselves, even in the midst of affliction and poverty? They're in love with God's grace, aren't they? That's a lesson from the example. Second, the gift of grace. The gift of grace. Look at verse 6, 6 and 7. Accordingly, Paul says, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And what is the act of grace in context? Hey, you guys started raising money to send to the poor Christians in Jerusalem, right? Please come finish it. Please, please raise that money so we can go feed these people. Please raise the money. It's an act of grace. In verse 7, he says, this is your whole Christian life. As you excel in everything, they've got all these other evidences of grace in their lives, faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, our love for you, excel in this aspect of grace too. See, he's not like, you can't just do aspects. If all of your life is grace, that includes generous giving. It's a gift. The act of grace is a gift. And look what he says in verses 13 to 15. Real interesting. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So what's he saying? They have nothing. You have way more than that. It's only right, man, that you would give what you have to them. Right? So he's not making bank on some gold church. Okay, um, he wants to help brothers and sisters in Christ who don't have enough. That's what that's what generous giving is is often about, right? It's about orphans in Haiti. It's about a small church trying to take care of orphans in Haiti. It's about missionaries overseas spreading the kingdom. It's about showing God's love. It's about being generous. It's a gift to do this. But look at verse fifteen. Paul then quotes from the Old Testament. As it is written, he says in verse 15, who whether gathered much had nothing left over and who gathered little had no lack. If you've studied this passage, I don't know, I think you get a little bit of a headache as to why he chose this passage for this illustration. Because he, he could have quoted like something, another verse, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Wouldn't that have worked? Give so you can love your neighbor as yourself? okay. He could, have, he could have chosen something else. Instead, he picks, as it is written, whoever gathered had much, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and who gathered little had no lack. What is he saying? Why does he pick this? Anybody remember where this reference is from? Exodus 16, the manna, right? So you remember the story, God saves his people of Israel out of Egypt, and then he takes them into the wilderness for this time of kind of like, training, testing. One of the problems there is, as all these scads of people 
are in the desert, well, guess what? And, and not only that, they're moving constantly. So what is it going to be impossible for them to do? Find any food, okay? It's just going to be impossible for them to feed themselves. And so they get out there and they're like, what next? And so God shows his miraculous provision in raining down on them manna, which I think is Hebrew for what is this? Because they're like, yo, what is this? But they did say it had a sweet taste. So I imagine something kind of like healthy Krispy Kremes. It was, God, it was from God, so he could do it. Um, but here's the thing, okay? Who's providing the food? God. But what did the people have to go do? You have to go get it. He's, you don't just sit there and go like this, you know? And God's like, you know, <laughs> baby bird. No, you have, to, you have to get up in the morning, you have to take your basket out, and you have to go, and how, I don't know how it works, right? What do they have to do to get their manna? They have to work. They have to work, right? And some of them, young, strong, they can gather a lot of manna. Other people, not as mobile, not as strong, it's difficult. Maybe. How much are they going to gather? Less, hard to bend over, whatever. But what did everybody do, according to this passage, when they came in from the morning's manna gathering? Here, I'll share it with you. So everybody has something to eat. You know what's crazy about that is, if you read the rest of that story, they can't leave any manna left over for the next day. And if they did, you know what they found in their manna the next morning? Manna worms, right? Maggots, worms, rot, rot. A couple lessons here. Number one, everything you have is a gift from God. The manna, right, where'd they get it? That was from God. But some of them could say, hey, I worked harder and got more manna. Would that be true? Yes. But then you say, well, it's my manna. I'm keeping it. Okay? Question, is your ability to work harder a gift from God? Is your ability to work smarter a gift from God? Okay? What if you, with all your work ethic and all your skills and all your talents, had been born, oh, an orphan in Haiti? And you don't even have the nourishment for your brain to develop correctly. And if you try really hard to work to sell your junk on the sidewalk corner, it still will never make enough. Who's working harder? That little Haitian or you and I? So, you know, we want to say, hey, it's my money, I worked for it. Absolutely, grain of truth, given, give what you want to give. And your ability to work hard and make the money, even that, what is it? That's a gift. That's a gift. And so, Paul is saying here, he's urging you to see that everything you have, it's not, you've got to miserly grab it and hoard it and keep it. That's not it. Everything you have, we need to see it as what? Where did it come from? It's a gift. It's all grace. It's a grace that you're able to work. It's a grace that your mind works. It's a grace that you have a work ethic. It's a grace that your parents helped you get through school. It's all a gift, 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 gift. It's grace. You should be thankful, and guess what else you should be? Generous. Because if God has given this to you, then what? 
You should be generous with others. And if you don't, what will you find in your wealth? This is why he picks this passage. What did they find in their manna that they wouldn't share, that they kept over, that they hoarded? Worms. What will you find in your wealth? And I think he's talking spiritually in your heart. What will you find in your wealth if you're not generous? Worms. It'll rot. It'll rot. You'll be a slave to it. You'll put your identity in it. You'll always feel like you don't have enough. You'll always feel like you're being gypped. You'll always be living to have what the next commercial says. And your, your whole stock will be in this world. And you might be richer in this world, but you will be poorer, Paul says, because you have no sense of grace in it. Didn't Jesus say this, Matthew 6, 19? Don't lay up yourselves for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Worms. <laughs> Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moths nor rust destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is. See, it's about the heart. Your heart is also. Your heart is also. If your heart is amazed by God's grace and his giving to you, what will you just want to do? You want to be gracious to others. You want to be sacrificially generous. So this is a gift. It's a gift to give. Um, some of us grew up in Christian families, and like me, I was, I was trained. Like if I got an allowance, like some of those pennies were going in the offering plate. And I'm very thankful for that because, and this is a gift from God. I'm not, I'm not bragging about nothing. Um, it's a gift from God. But I'm thankful for that because it, it got me used to it. Some of us, when you convert as an adult, or maybe you didn't have this in your brain at all, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, who, what? And you're about, you're about tithing or giving percentages to God's people, God's work, God's church, mission, and you're just like, because in America, what are we trying to do financially? <laughs> if you don't have like 20 grand in credit card debt, you're doing it wrong, right? You need to have it now, pay for it later. <laughs> that's, what, that's what American culture teaches us. Well, first of all, that's a disease. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's a burden. Secondly, what is it going to keep you from doing? You will never be generous. Oh, to get the spirit of self-control where we're amazed by God's grace and we gotta, we gotta say, I gotta work this in some way to where I'm given. It's a gift. It's a gift to give. And those of you who have, you know, right? You know it's a gift to give. So there's courage to give from, number one, the example of grace in the Macedonians. Secondly, the gift of grace. It's a gift to give, Paul is saying here. It, it lets our wealth be what it's supposed to be, a joyful gift of God's grace. Otherwise, there's worms. Third one, and here's the biggest one. Courage to give from the knowledge of ultimate grace. Look at verse 9. This is incredible. Just pause here. Be amazed. For you know. Okay, what does this mean? They already know this, but they need to know it again. They need to know it more. Why do we preach about Jesus every week? This is the reason. Because you know, but you don't know, right? I know, but I don't know. I need to know more. I need to know deeper. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
I hope you've heard this before, if you've come here before. Jesus came for you, lived for you, died for you, rose for you. You know this, but let's remember it again. Though he was rich, so imagine with me, how rich was Jesus before the incarnation? You're thinking of, uh, I don't know, who's rich? Bill Gates is rich. Do you think Jesus before the incarnation was, if only I could be like Bill Gates? <laughs> it's hard to fathom the richness of being the eternal son of God forever. Um, eternally loved by the Father, able to create all things by the word of your power, um, worshipped by myriads of angels forever and ever, the ultimate of everything. He was rich. And you know, we're like, I don't know about giving because I'm going to have to lower my standard of living if I'm going to give regularly. And Jesus is like, you want to talk about a lower standard of living? He was rich. He became poor. He became poor. How poor did Jesus become? First of all, he left eternal son of godness and became a baby in a womb, wrapped, you remember, everybody knows this in Christmas, wrapped with swaddling cloths, wrapped with a poor people's washcloths. That's a demotion. And lying in a food trough. It's poverty you and I can't even fathom. And then he grew up poor, and even in his ministry, you sure you want to follow me? I don't even have a house to go to. And not only was, not only that, but he was poor relationally. Who understood him? Who knew him? He was lonely. Um, he was betrayed. He was left alone. In fact, his poverty went so great, he had his back ripped open with whips, and he was crucified on a cross. And his standard of living, he went from eternal glory to the earth's trash. For your sake, let this ring. Why did he do that? For your sake. Where were you? Where were you? You were born in the dumpster fire of sin. You were lost. You were at enmity with God. You were a slave to sin. You, were, you deserved wrath. You, you're far gone. You're a stranger. And he gives up everything for your sake because he loves you. And look at this language. So that you, by his poverty, might become what? Rich. Jesus make you rich? Macedonians thought so. That's why they were so joyful. Are you rich right now, people? It's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Rich is a matter of perspective. One reason I like going to Haiti is because I can, I can, you know, I live in Southern California, right? I'm too what to buy a house? I'm too poor to buy a house. Anybody else too poor to buy a house in Southern California? Okay. I can't afford it. No one can. Um, and then I go to Haiti, and how do I feel about myself when I come back? I'm a billionaire. I'm like, making it rain. 
Haitian goods. <laughs> I'm so rich, it's a, matter of, it's a matter of perspective. What do you have in Christ? The king of the universe has made you an heir of all he has. You're going to sit on a throne with him. Look at Romans 8.32, and this just puts it into amazing language. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us what? All things. You say you give if you've won the lottery. You have won the lottery. You're going to inherit the earth. You inherit God as yours. Do you see what Jesus did? He gave away everything and became poor so that we who were poor might become rich. What is Jesus if not generous? Jaw-dropping, sacrificially, joyfully generous. And the question here is, what can change my heart and make me courageously, sacrificially, joyfully generous? This is it. Have you tasted his grace for you? This is the key. You can hear it. Have you tasted it? Have you bought in? Have you trusted it? Oh my gosh, Jesus, you've given everything to me. Wow. Wow. You see, if you can earn your way before God, we still like a little religion, because religion gives distance. God, I'll do stuff for you. You do your part and do stuff for me. But we have, we have some balance here, right? Let's not go too far. Religion gives you a little balance. I'll earn some stuff, you give some stuff, but you stay there, I'll stay here. And Jesus says, heck with the deals, I want the dealer. And I'm coming all the way in with grace. What did he give to have you? Everything. What has he given you? Everything. That means, what deals do you have left to make if you're saved by grace? What deals do you have left to make Tim Keller wrote about this in his book, The Reason for God, and I'm going to give you this quote. It's actually from a lady in his church, and she was talking to him about the gospel, and she said, you know, I actually, uh, I liked religion better because grace is scary. Grace is scary. And he's like, what do you mean? Why, why do you think it's scary? And this is what she said. Tim Keller from his book, Reason for God, this is what this lady said. If I was saved by my good works, there would be a limit to what could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. Ooh, sting. But if I'm a sinner saved by sheer grace, in other words, if he's given everything for me, then what? Then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. If Jesus has given everything to you, what can he not ask of you? How can you look at a crucified Messiah and say, well, what you're asking me to do is too hard? He's going to be like, incarnation cross, resurrection. What was that about too hard? I don't have enough, Jesus. You have me. You have me. So generosity isn't ultimately about money. Listen, don't hear me saying that everybody needs to be uh, St. Francis and sell everything off. 
because then we're gonna have the problem of having to be generous to help you out. <laughs> so, we don't need any of that. Uh, keep working, keep providing. You're made in the image of God. Keep creating wealth. Be wise with your wealth. Make more wealth. And then like Paul says to Timothy, let the rich in this age not put their hope in wealth, but give generously. And only you can decide what the line is for you. We all have a line, okay? I have so much money, I need to provide for my family. I need to think about the future. I'm going to have a little bit of fun in this world God has made uh, with my family, and there needs to be part of my budget that what? Gives sacrificially. And that's on us. We got to figure that out. And it's on you. So I would never say this much, this amount, this percentage. Tithing can be great. It's a great discipline. Some of you, you you can't give 10% right now. Others of you, if you're only giving 10%, you're cheating because you have so much. What's the big deal here? Your heart. Your heart. Are you amazed by the grace of God for you in every way, especially Jesus? And does his generosity for you make you kind of want to be like a Macedonian? I got so much joy in who Jesus is for me. I'm, I'm happy to sacrifice something so that I can help others, so that I can be a part of something bigger. That's what I want. That's what the point of this passage is. Live joyfully, sacrificially generous for others because Jesus was and is and will always be joyfully, sacrificially generous to you because he is so generous to you. We can be more generous to others. Let's pray. Jesus, help us first taste your generosity to us. Help us to be amazed at what you've done. Help us to trust it, to submit to it, to surrender to it. Lord, I pray for those of us in here who want to keep you at a nice religious distance and give you some aspects here and there. Help us see, God, that the cross just won't even let that be a reality. You've given us everything. Undeserved, lavish love. Help us trust that and give ourselves to you. Give our hearts to you. And then, Lord, as a result of that, show us more of what it means to be generous. Help us want to enjoy this gift of giving what you've given to us to bless others. Help us work it into our lives. Help us to make it a reality because we belong to you and because we're in love with you. Not because you won't love us if we don't do that. Let's get that whole thinking out of the way, Lord. Help us to do it by grace. Your love to us, showing, it, showing out in our love to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.